But let's take our Bibles and turn to James chapter 5. Um, our children's choir members, uh, you can go ahead and be dismissed at this time, and you'll be back shortly, and they'll collect the ones from the nursery and bring them back to where they belong as well. And then thank you guys for helping us to sing to the Lord this morning. I'm always grateful for your help as we get to worship our God. James chapter 5, we're going to begin at verse 1, and we're going to read down through verse 6. It's on page 1013, if you'd like to use a Bible from the church. This is God's word for us this morning, and here's what God says. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. You may be seated. Father, there's no word like your word. We are grateful to have your word. It is true. Everything about it is true. And it's not just an old, true book. It is living and active and so we would pray that as we look at your word now, as we spend these next moments of our time of worship together, that you would stir in our midst and in our hearts so that we would not merely understand this passage better, but that we would be transformed by this passage. Help us to that end, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, on one level, are, are their own standalone unit. And yet, I would suggest, just like I suggested last week, from chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, both units, and I think next, our next passage in James will do the same, they, in a sense, reach back into a matter that was brought up in the previous section. In chapter 4, verses 6 and verse 10, where there was a clear call for humility. For instance, in verse 6, it's, it says, but, he, um, but God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then in verse 10 of chapter 4, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Just like last week when it came to planning, there was, there's a way that we could do planning that is devoid of humility. And now this morning, as we look at what this passage says about wealth, about the rich, there's a way that we can think about wealth and we can uh, consider the rich in, in a way that is devoid of humility and, and what entails in that. So two things I want us to think about this morning from this passage. It's there in your insert. If that's 
helpful to use that and follow along and jot down notes. But first, I want us to consider something of the danger of relying upon wealth. And then secondly, I want us to consider something of the demonstrations, the evidences of relying upon wealth. It is not wealth per se that is the problem as the scripture sees it, as God locates it. The problem is what the human heart does with wealth and any host of another uh, any host of other things that God gives uh, to his creation. But in this passage in particular, the, the problem is located in terms of, of the hearts of the wealthy. And the danger is not that they have wealth per se. The danger is that they are relying upon that wealth, that they are trusting in that wealth, that they are loving that wealth in a way that has become, if you would, idolatrous. Now, the book of James as a whole is written to the church, to believers in Jesus Christ. And yet there are segments, and I think this segment, verse 1 through 6 of chapter 5, is a segment that, that shifts its conversation. I think that the thrust of verses 1 through 6 is talking primarily to non-Christians, wealthy people who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and yet, he's doing that. He's calling out the, the wealthy unbelievers in, in, the, in a larger context, in a, in a book overall that is written to believers, to the church, to build up the church, to disciple the church. It's almost as if he, how this is functioning is that as he is talking to the church, he uh, does a shout out to the unbelievers who are wealthy and the harm that they have inflicted, arguably, most likely, upon the believers themselves in those communities to where this book is originally written to. But I think there's some important takeaways. So even though it's, a, it's addressed to unbelievers who are wealthy, it's still written for the purpose of the edification of the church. And I would suggest that there's three important takeaways, at least three, maybe more than three, but while it's addressed to unbelievers, what would those of us who name the name of Jesus, what would we take away from these words that are addressed to wealthy unbelievers? First, it's a reminder to believers, these verses are a reminder uh, to believers of, the, of, of, of our ultimate fate. Uh, the, the, and, and in particular, as this per passage unfolds, it, the, 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 the fateful misery of evildoers. In this case, wealthy evildoers. Secondly, it's, a, it's, it's written to believers to remind believers to remain faithful even, even though they may be harmed by wealthy unbelievers, to remain faithful, resisting attitudes, heart postures such as envy and bitterness. To, to, to learn the beauty and the glory of contentment. Paul would write to Timothy, and we'll keep coming back to this passage 
in 1 Timothy chapter 6. But Paul writes to Timothy to believers, and he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Uh, that we brought nothing into this world and uh, we cannot take anything out of this world. In other words, we have to understand the dynamic here. We are here temporarily, and therefore bitterness and envy need not override our hearts in this present moment. He writes to Timothy, and he says, but if we have food and clothing, with these be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, and into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. We, we might be tempted to think of, of wealth as the, uh, the cure-all, the end-all, uh, that, boy, if I just had a little bit more, I'd be all right. And yet, and yet from God's perspective, that is, that is a potentially disastrous posture and mindset. It warns us that if we desire to be rich, we, we potentially plunge ourselves into all sorts of ruinous destructions. But then I would suggest that even as he's addressing these words to, to wealthy unbelievers, I think that an implication can be for exhorting believers uh, to have a godly uh, regard and, and use of their wealth, whatever wealth they may have. And, and there is such a critter as wealthy believers. And, and yet wealthy believers would look at money and use money uh, entirely different than maybe an ungodly person would. Well, first of all, James addresses the unhealthy, the ungodly reliance upon wealth that is displayed in the people to whom he is writing about. And, and, to, and to start us into that, look at the second part of verse 3 of chapter 5. He says there in the last part of verse 3, chapter 5, you have laid up treasure in the last day. They have amassed, in fact, I would suggest to you, uh, that in fact, some translations bear this out. Uh, it, the, the, the language there is that of hoarding. You have amassed, you have hoarded, you have laid up treasure in these last days. Now, is that not reminiscent of something our Lord said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, where he wrote, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And I think that's what's implied here in James. You have laid up treasures for yourselves in these last days, i.e. treasures on earth. So our Lord says, do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where um, neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he says this, our Lord says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so as James uh, identifies these wealthy unbelievers who have laid up for themselves treasures on earth, I think is the implication. 
What he is telling us is that by their strategy to amass and to hoard and to to accumulate is rooted in a a heart that is treasuring this stuff more than it is treasuring the Lord over this stuff. In fact, again, bearing out the parallel between what our Lord said in Matthew 6 and what uh, James is saying in verses 2 and 3, he, he, he identifies the very thing the Lord warned about. He says in verse 2 of chapter 5 of James, your riches are rotten and your garments are moth-eaten and your gold and silver have corroded. And then we'll come back to this. He says, and the corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. No, they have relied upon their wealth. And and then he lists, I would suggest, four demonstrations, four ways that James goes on to demonstrate. He's already kind of touched on, I've already kind of touched on the first one, but I'll go back and recircle it and hit it again. But there's four demonstrations that, in fact, the people to whom James is writing about uh, have have relied upon wealth. It's more than they have wealth. They have trusted in their wealth. First of all, again, from verses two and three, they have hoarded or amassed or or accumulated wealth. Now, we have to be careful, and I don't know that I can give a perfect line of demarcation, but the scriptures, particularly the Proverbs, commend you and I Thinking about the future in regard to our money, our riches, our wealth. We should be good planners. And a part of being a good planner in reference to our our money and as it pertains to the future is that the scriptures commend saving. Saving our money. Listen to Proverbs chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. A slack hand causes poverty. But the hand of the diligent makes rich. And then he explains that in the next verse, verse 5 of Proverbs 10. He who gathers in the summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. In other words, what the scriptures commend is is that it commends working to the point of saving so that even though you don't need the money per se today, your work and your saving today has prepared you for the next season when you need an emergency fund or you need money, but you got that because you have wisely planned and thought ahead. You you didn't just think about the money that you needed this day and then say, well, I got all the money I need to this day and then I, I guess I'm done. But it, it, it addresses not only the present needs and present perspectives of money, but it addresses the future uh, needs of money as well. So the scriptures commend saving. Proverbs 13, 22 says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, i.e. his grandchildren. He's saved money for a purpose, and that is to be a blessing 
to members of his family downstream of him. He's thinking not only about how to bless his children with his savings, but he's blessing how to bless his grandchildren with his savings as well. The scriptures commend saving and careful uh, thought about the future as it pertains to our funds. And yet the scriptures condemn hoarding. I don't know that I can draw a perfect line between, well, what's the difference between careful planning and saving and hoarding? I would maybe sort it out something like this. Saving contains careful consideration of one's future, but also the future of others around you. Whereas hoarding has no thought or consideration of others. Hoarding doesn't even know why. It doesn't have a careful strategy or plan for why it's still accumulating. It's, it's defined by the mass of its own accumulation. And so therefore it just, it's accumulating for no express purpose or reason. And it certainly isn't accumulating for purposes to be a blessing and, to be, and have thought of, of others. So the first demonstration here that these people are relying upon their wealth and not upon the Lord who gives wealth is, is that they are thinking that it's all dependent upon them, that, that they, they have to keep on accumulating and stockpiling stuff um, with no thought of others, with no thought of an explicit plan to how to use that saved wealth for something into the future. No, they're just realizing that it's all upon them. There's no, they have no father in heaven who will care for them. And so therefore they just keep anxiously accumulating more and more and more. That's the first indication. The first indication that one relies upon wealth rather than upon the Lord is that one um, goes way beyond careful planning and savings and one becomes overwhelmed and obsessed with hoarding. A second demonstration in verse 4 is what I would call defrauding. Notice what he says here. Um, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And then we'll come back to this in a moment. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Not only is hoarding a demonstration of reliance upon the unwealth, but, but, but defrauding others. In other words, uh, that, that we would be complicit that, uh, in uh, economic uh, abuse, in economic oppression of others. In particular, not in a, not in a vague nondescript that I, I, I'm breathing, so therefore I must be oppressing somebody. But in this case, I've actually hired somebody to do a job for me. Hey, I need you to mow my field, and, and if you mow my field, I'll give you X, Y, and Z in exchange for that. So there's been an economic uh, an agreement made, and yet since I'm wealthy, I think I've got more muscle than you, and so therefore after you mow my field, I change my mind. I back away from the agreement. 
Perhaps James has in mind some, some statements that are found in the Mosaic Law. For instance, in Leviticus 19.13, you shall not oppress your neighbor uh, uh, or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning, or specifically how that's played out in Deuteronomy 24, uh, 14 through 15, it, particularly if you hire a poor person, he says you shall give him his wages the same day. Don't string him out like that. He is poor. So in this scenario, there has been an economic agreement between worker and employer, if you would. And the employer has backed away from his commitment. He's going to string you out, put you on a a 30 or 60 day um, uh, payback plan. All the while, he's got plenty. uh, 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 and, 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 And yet you don't. find it also insightful by implication here what our Lord would tell us to do if we are on that end of economic abuse and economic oppression. We are to entrust ourselves to the Lord. It says the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. There's no indication that that what's commended here is a strategy of burning down buildings and, uh, and taking matters into one's own hands. Uh, that's a whole other sermon perhaps, but that would be a whole other expression of ungodliness. No, what's expressed here is that, is that when you have been wronged, you cry out to the Lord and the Lord in his time will write that account. A f- Third thing, a third demonstration or indication that, that these wealthy are ungodly in their wealthiness because they are de- depending upon their wealth instead of the Lord. They do that by their hoarding. They do that by their uh, defrauding. Uh, but second, uh, thirdly, in verse 5, um, and this is perhaps why uh, they can do this because they don't give you the money that, they work, that others have worked for. You have lived, verse 5, on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts. And we'll come back to this, he says, in a day of slaughter. <laughs> That's a dig. Um, you, you can't find the time or the money to pay the person that, you, that you've hired to work for you, but you, sir, are able to find the time and the money to go out and get some more stuff. Now, stuff is not the problem. But a heart that is not trusting in the Lord, all that that heart has left to trust in is its stuff. And, and, you, and you know what? You, and, but you look at your heart and you think, you know what? I, I, my, my heart is not satisfied yet. I don't have enough stuff. And, and, but maybe if I get a little bit more stuff, then my heart will be assuaged and satisfied. And so, so you, that justifies why you can't pay the person that, that you've hired to work for you because your heart needs some more stuff. And so money that's already been spoken for by your agreement for the people that you've hired is going to be used to accumulate more stuff. And then 
A fourth thing, six we might say, uh, in verse six uh, is uh, a fourth thing, and I, I don't know exactly how to word it in one word. For instance, uh, verse three was hoarding, uh, verse four was defrauding, verse five is, I don't know, opulence, um, and uh, verse six might just be uh, uh, unjust influence because of your wealth. What it says in verse six, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. No, he's, I, I take that to mean in this case, he's done nothing against you. And, and yet you have, you have cooked the books, if you would. You have, you have used your um, political might because of your wealthy context. Uh, and you have used that uh, to give preferential treatment um, and to bring about injustice. In, in this case, arguably through the judiciary. And yet it doesn't have to be officially through the judiciary. I mean, an illustration that comes to my mind is the Old Testament king Ahab. And Ahab wanted uh, this guy's land, this guy named uh, Naboth. He wanted his vineyard. And, um, uh, and Ahab, on the one hand, he had everything he wanted. But he figured out a way to, uh, if you would, um, uh, Cook, uh, the uh, outcome of this is that he concocted a scheme whereby Naboth would be convicted of blasphemy. And, and in so doing, uh, Naboth would be um, murdered. And guess who could take the land in that case? Then the King Ahab would take the land. In other words, he had his wealth, he had his stuff, but he needed a little bit more stuff. And so not only is he. Uh, open to defrauding people whom he've hired to work for, but he's actually open to the strategy of using the judiciary in order to bring about bogus charges, to bring about convictions so that he could get more stuff. Now, these are all traits. These four things, hoarding and defrauding and opulence and injustice, are, are, are all strategies, are all indications of someone who has wealth and yet is ungodly, is not a believer. I would just inject at this point that that there's another way, there is a better way. And, and while James locates the challenges from a negative standpoint, and that is an indication that the heart is relying upon wealth and not upon the Lord, and he frames that by four negative examples that demonstrate uh, that hoarding, that, that reliance upon wealth is occurring. Paul's letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 gives us a better way. You see, the rich in and of themselves are not ipso facto condemned. If you think they are, you don't understand the scriptures. I, I know it's, a, it's popular in our culture today to want to gang up on the rich and villainize them and, um, uh, and, and, and somehow punish them. And while they may, at least some of them, have done ungodly things that, that, that needs a response of justice, it is not our place to take matters into our own hands. Not all wealthy people 
or ungodly. What wealthy people, but for that matter, what poor people are condemned for is their sinful dependence upon wealth or the desire to get wealth. Secondly, what wealthy people are condemned for is based upon their sinful dependence upon wealth, their sinful deployment to obtain wealth and to use their wealth. Paul's words to Timothy give great instructions for people like you and I, because the fact of the matter is, even though we may not feel it that way, but from, old, from New Testament standards, we are wealthy people. If we already know where tomorrow's food is coming from, and we have more than one change of clothes, in the biblical categories, we are rich. And so what would we do, us rich folk? First of all, we should refuse the pull and the draw to love our money and to love our stuff. We are to love the Lord more than we are to love wealth. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, and he says, this is important, I quote this right, because this is one of the most incorrectly quoted scripture passages there are. It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Notice it didn't say, for money is the root of all kinds of evil. It says, for the love of money. It's not the money, it is our heart posture toward money that is the root of all kinds of evil. It is not wealth and stuff that's the problem. It is what our hearts are inclined to do with wealth and stuff that is the problem. He goes on to write in 1 Timothy chapter 6, it is through this craving. What craving? I got to get more. I got to get me some stuff. I got to get me some money. Is that that sort? So in other words, you could be poor and, 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 and violate Paul's words here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. You don't have to have a lot of money to love money. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. See, that's the real problem. The real problem is not that you and I might have some stuff. The problem is that our stuff could get a hold of us. Our stuff could seize our hearts. We could allow our, our stuff to seize our hearts in such a way that we trail off from loving the Lord uh, who gives us stuff to loving our stuff instead of the Lord. We can elevate things to ultimate things. But then Paul's word goes further. So first of all, we would want to love the Lord more than we would want to love uh, wealth. Secondly, we would want to honor the Lord by the good use of our wealth. And that seems to be the huge problem that James is writing of, that, 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 that the true dependence upon their wealth is, is being demonstrated in how they are using it, how they obtained it, how they retained it, and how they deployed it. Paul would write to Timothy in, in 1 Timothy 6. He says, 
As for the rich in this present age, charge them uh, to not be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides everything uh, uh, for us to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. No, the problem is not wealth. The problem is not that a Christian cannot have some measure of wealth. The problem is the hearts of people, our hearts. Do we want our stuff more than we want the Lord? Are we willing to show that we want the Lord more than we want our stuff by how generous and how we leverage our stuff to deploy ourselves to do good works rather than just accumulate more and to be a hoarder, which, which would then give rise to a host of other uh, uh, oddities and acts of wickedness like James identifies as defrauding and... Um, uh, opulence and even uh, injustice. So we need not think of our stuff as the problem. We need to think of and keep be ever vigilant upon our hearts as the true problem. And in this case, James is writing to people who have a heart problem. I know what you're thinking. Well, if I could have a heart problem and be poor or have a heart problem and be rich, hmm, I'd rather have a heart problem and be rich. Not so fast. Uh, we, we didn't read all, we didn't pull apart all that James warns about here. Because my first point, even though I'm already on my second point, but my first point is about, was about the danger of relying upon wealth. There is a dangerous spiritual plight for those who rely upon wealth, who depend upon wealth more than they depend upon the Lord, who love wealth more than they love the Lord. Notice how he started the passage in verse 1 of chapter 5. Come now, you rich, weep and howl. Now, I, I, I don't know. I, I, when, you, when you watch those uh, uh, shows on TV that you know, talk about all of the beauty and the glory of Hollywood, I, I don't see many of them weeping and howling, do you? They seem to be doing just fine. And, and yet James reminds us of the spiritual plight of the ungodly who have accumulated wealth. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. The danger of relying upon wealth rather than upon the Lord, the danger of loving money more than we love the Lord, the danger of, 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 of accumulating our stuff rather than leveraging our stuff for the good of others is that there's no future to that. There are miseries coming upon any and all who are not trusting in the Lord. Whatever else they are trusting in, if they're not trusting in the Lord, then howling and weeping 
are appropriate emotional responses. Second, in verse three, another indication of the spiritual plight where he talks about your silver and your gold are corroded. And, and, and what does he say about that corrosion? And, and, uh, and that corrosion, verse three, will be evidence against you. You have accumulated treasures on this earth. No, I haven't. Honest, I haven't. What's that over there? Um, um, look, it's all corroded. You've been accumulating it. You have been collecting it. Rather than storing it up in heaven where it never corrodes, you have kept it here on earth where it, it's old. And perhaps even when he says, and will eat your flesh like fire when all the treasures of this earth are burned up you will be scorched along with them. Or in verse four, when he talks about defrauding, again, the, the, the danger of the spiritual plight of those who are trusting in, wit, in, in riches, he says, for the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of the harvest. Weep and howl. Evidence is being amassed against you. The Lord has heard the cries of his people in reference to you, what you, the harm you have done uh, to them. Verse 5, you have, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. And then finally, by inference, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. You have you have messed with my people, the Lord is saying. And when you mess with my people, you mess with me. So see, the, the present spiritual plight of any and all who are trusting in riches, or I would just add to this, to, to wrap this up, the plight of any and all who would be trusting in anything other than the crucified Lord Jesus Christ is that such a person should start howling and weeping right now for all that awaits is misery. Evidence is being amassed to make a case against you. The Lord has heard the cries of the people that you have harmed. Uh, you have, and, and you, even though you think you're doing just fine and have amassed great wealth, you have just fattened yourself for the day of slaughter for you have wronged my people. But there's an alternative. While you and I still have wealth and health and life and breath, we can turn from our stuff. We can turn from whatever it is, whoever it is that we are trusting in and depending upon, and we can turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting only in him, the only one who is the only savior, the only one who brings us into right relationship with the God who made us, the only one who can fully and completely take care of us by adopting us and placing us in his own family so that we are well-loved children of God. Turn to Jesus. Trust only in him. Renounce whoever or whatever else you might be trusting in, particularly if it's trusting in your stuff and your wealth. Turn to Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. 
Thank you for the wisdom that it imparts to us. Thank you for how it helps us to decipher and to discern how to navigate this life. Thank you that it puts before us the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory and beauty and majesty and love, the only one who is qualified to rescue people like us from our sins, the only one who is able to give us an eternal destiny in your presence as your well-loved children. So, Father, may we trust only in Jesus. For in Jesus' name we pray.